Blog Talk Radio. Trumpet, you know it's the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry Fidoa and Tom Donaldson, and tonight we have uh, two special guests. Uh, one is uh, Dr. David Rare, who is a, uh, a very uh, distinguished uh, member of the uh, George Mason University faculty as professor and director of uh, one of their uh, major business uh, units. And um, the other is uh, the owner of this station, was uh, L.A. Bachelor, and uh, we're going to talk tonight. Uh, we're going to start by talking about the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's uh, address to the U.S. Congress this morning, and I'm going to quote just a few things uh, that uh, to sort of set the the frame for those of you who did not um, were not able to listen to the uh, original. It was extremely uh, effective and uh, and very very. It was very heart heart warm heart breaking really. So the president stars said, uh, right now the destiny of our country is being decided. The destiny of our people whether Ukrainians will be free, whether they will be able to preserve their democracy. Russia has attacked not has attacked not just us, not just our land, our cities. It went on a brutal offensive against our values, basic human values, against our freedom, our right to live freely, choosing our own future, against our desire for happiness against our national dreams. Like, just like the same things you have, you Americans, just like anyone else in the United States. I remember the National Memorial Mount Rushmore, the faces of your prominent presidents, those who laid the foundation of the United States of America. Democracy, independence, freedom. For every person who works diligently, who lives honestly, who respects the law, we in Ukraine want the same for our people. All that is a normal part of your own life. Ladies and gentlemen, Americans, in your great history, you would understand Ukrainians. Understand this now. We need you right now. I have a dream. I have a need. I need to protect our skies. I need your help, which means the same you feel when you hear the words, I have a dream. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, Ukraine is grateful to the United States for its overwhelming support. Everything your government and your people have done for us, for weapons and training, for leadership to pressure the aggressor economically. I am grateful to President Biden for his sincere commitment to the defense of Ukraine and democracy all over the world. I am grateful to you 
for the resolution which recognizes all those who commit crimes against Ukraine as war criminals. In the darkest times of our country, I call on you to do more. In the end, to be the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace in our country does not depend only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong does not mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for his citizens as citizens of the world, for human rights, for freedom, the right to live decently and die when your time comes and not when decided by someone else. Today the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for Europe and the world and our lives in the name of the future. That is why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. I am almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when the hearts of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the deaths. This is my mission as a leader of my people and as a leader of my nation. I'm addressing President Biden. You are the leader of the nation of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Thank you. Glory to Ukraine. So that's those are some highlights from the speech. The other part of the speech was a, a, a very, very heartbreaking uh, video that they showed of the suffering and the children and the old people that were that were having problems living and they were dying of thirst and cold and so on. So tonight we'd like to talk about what what I guess what is what is the symbolic meaning of this war and also what is the practical. What are the practical alternatives that we should be uh, considering and actually implementing as a as a nation? And uh, we, maybe we could start with uh, Dr. Uh, David Rohr. Uh, you're uh, you're uh, uh, a student of all of this stuff, and you've seen it from the inside and the outside. And uh, what do you think now? Well, thanks, Larry. It's great to be back with you. Uh, a couple things. Number one, before we, and not to place too much blame, but before we think of the future, a lot of this could have been avoided by more effective leadership in the past. We've known for over a year that between 90 and 125,000 Russian troops have been to the Ukrainian border, and our administration did nothing. We've known for three weeks the Russians invaded Ukraine, and the administration is like talking about being tough and being strong and doing nothing. You know, we've known for months that the Russians have a 
superior advantage in tanks, in missiles and things, and no one ever bothered to think about sending the Ukrainian people beyond the Stinger missiles, missiles that could have go more than three miles up in the air to attack Russian air, air, aircraft and to prevent missiles from exploding in their cities and countryside. Now, we've known that because I think, and I want to be respectful of the president, but he and his administration really believes that diplomacy is the only option. And they have to keep talking about diplomacy and that if they just talk enough, things will be changed and the right result will will, will occur. But I agree with the Ukrainian congresswoman from Indiana who was interviewed after the speech today and she said, all we do around here is talk. All the president does is talk. No one takes action. And I think retrospectively, and if this is ever to occur again, we need to take more action to prevent conflicts like this rather than now being in the middle of a horrible situation facing Ukraine and its people deciding what we're going to do. But having said that, I personally think we it's complicated because Russia, and I don't mean any disrespect to Russian Americans, but Russia is a third world country with a large gas station in it. That's how they get most of their revenue. You block the gas and oil, you block the revenue, you bring the country to its knees, in my opinion. So even on the oil embargo, we're still kind of fighting with the president and the administration, both Democrats and Republicans, and they're saying, well, we're we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're doing it, we're doing it, just to end it last week. And I was pretty upset with the president. When you, I'm moved by these pictures of these innocent people who are being killed, where now the president's going to give a speech in Europe next week. Leaders don't wait for a week and then fly there. If there's a problem, they go immediately to show leadership. They don't lead from behind, which is part of President Biden, unfortunately, and I respect him as the president. Part of his problem is he leads from behind, which is continuing to cause a lot of other problems because other, other enemies or adversaries of America are watching what he does now and will make their calculations, Iran, Iran, North Korea, China, depending on how he acts, which I think is troublesome for, the America, for America in the future. What do we need to do? We need to provide as much as we can as smartly and as discreetly as we can without provoking Russia to start firing nuclear weapons at us or at Europe or at other peoples. Now, hold, hold, hold go ahead. I'm off. sorry, Larry. We're, uh, we uh, have to take a quick break here. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tom Donaldson along with uh, Dr. Larry on the Resistance Hour. You can listen to this show every day on the bachelornews.airtime.pro, 1 p.m., 7 p.m. every day on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, 
And also, I do have my latest book, America the Abyss, Will America Survive, is available right now at Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, and LibertyHillPublishingPress.com, which is associated with Fatal Media. Or you can get to your local bookstore. If they don't have it, order the book. In fact, order two books, one for yourself and one for a friend. And now we're – okay, Dr. Larry? So, um, well, L.A., do you want to take a shot at this? I'm sorry. Uh, do you want to uh, comment on the uh, on this uh, on what uh, David said, or what uh, you've been thinking about this whole Ukrainian problem? Right, and let me just say thank you um, for allowing me a few minutes uh, or so uh, to discuss this. And uh, I respect you and your show, and Tom as well, and certainly your distinguished guest is way above my pay grade. Um, but from a, uh, a practical comment uh, standpoint, uh, I didn't get a chance to, to listen to his speech, but from the excerpts, he's reaching out. Like, we need more assistance, uh, whether it be um, militarily in terms of intelligence, in terms of uh, uh, fighter uh, planes or uh, any kind of equipment uh, that's going to help them fight. And by the way, I I, I respect Ukraine's uh, military and their people in fighting uh, this, you know, uh, dictator. In in my opinion, uh, a couple of things. I think um, if we had done Democrat Republican a long time ago, decade as long as Vladimir Putin's been in office, and specifically to America, not depend on um, his oil, um, I think we'd be, my humble opinion, be in a a better position. Uh, Number two, um, I respect what your guest has said in terms of respecting the office of the presidency. I think we should do that. I think that's very refreshing. You could disagree with him, but you respect him as president. He's the one in office. If we want to do that with Trump, we need to do that with Biden. Um, And I think that having said that, this is a president that said something that another Democratic president, and I'm not playing favorites, uh, said in terms of just drawing a line in the sand. Like, you need to stop or else. We've seen that with President Obama in the past. And look what happened there with uh, Assad and everything uh, uh, there uh, and that that situation where we have withdrawal. My concern to to the three of you is that we we somehow get tr- troops on the ground or something like that. America doesn't want any kind of war at all. Republicans, Democrats, independents, they don't want it. We're all warred out. We don't want to hear that anymore. So it, it seems to me that if we were pushing on NATO about paying their fair share. Um, some previous administration said that, about you know paying their fair share and, and doing their thing. Then we need to push on NATO to be at, uh, even more at the forefront in this. Uh, Biden needs to get his act together. Um, you know, it's saying things and doing things are two different things, and that's, that's a part of it. But we need to make sure that if NATO's going to speak out for Ukraine, a country that's not a NATO member but is doing the right thing, trying to protect their country, then we need to push NATO to continue to do what they need 
uh, God forbid we have some kind of no-fly zone, then that's then we're going to war. Um, so I, I just think that we need to make sure our allies understand what we're going to do or what needs to be done, and and Joe Biden needs to be a lot stronger in his message to Vladimir Putin, whether it's the SWIFT, whether it's something even stronger, any sanctions, something needs to be done from that standpoint. So he needs to, to, you know, not be about it, but, I mean, not talk about it, but be about it. And NATO needs to step up even more to help these these folks who are, you know, innocent men, women, and children are dying. Yeah, I, t- I totally uh, agree with you, you by the way. In? Yeah, well, I'm gonna, like I said, it's, I'm going to agree with. Uh, here's the thing, because I just we just I just discussed this with George Landreth on, on my show, and I with LA's got the, is a good point in this regard. We're not going to send military force in there, and this has been a position that a lot of people have taken on both on on, on the side. I get a kick out of the idea of hawks, when most of the hawks I know do not want to put American troops in there in a no-fly zone would be war, I mean, an escalation of war. But on the other side, as, you know, as David Weir said, NATO, in particular, the Poles, the Czechs, and the Slovakians, for example, they have the ability to arm uh, the Ukraine and basically make it costly for Putin. You know, in a way, and, and David, I'd like, to, I'd like to have your view on this, because to me, i got to look at it in a way that, Ukrainians are not going to defeat Russia and send Russia back to Moscow. Right. But they don't have but they're in a position where if they don't lose the war, if they make it worse, because my what I'm finding is to me it's gonna be interesting down the road, is that Russia from an economic perspective is basically gonna go bankrupt. You know, if they don't have the ability to trade or do anything, they're going to go bankrupt. And my question would be you got a lot of oligarchies out there who make, who are billionaires, who basically are friends of Putin with the idea of, you know, Putin says you can make a ton of money, I, I get my cut. Well, they're losing their money. They're losing their yacht. I wonder how many of the Russian generals are wondering, you know, how much is this going to be worth another Afghanistan? And is there a point somewhere where somebody says, okay, enough is enough, uh, and the next day Putin quote-unquote, dies of a heart attack. But, and I think, you know, quite honestly, we're at that point. But I would say, uh, you know, you got everybody's made a pretty good point. You know, we're not going to put troops in. We're not going to have a no-fly zone. But we certainly have NATO alliance sitting there on the border who can arm and send supplies to the Ukraine. And, well, seems, and the question seems, is going to... Go ahead. It seems to me that, that there are two central problems that we have to solve one is whether if we if we would re uh, uh, dedicate ourselves to our uh, making our energy industry productive again or as productive as they could be we could basically in, in, in the longer run at least uh, at least within within uh, a few months maybe even a little faster than that we could uh, begin to cut the, the uh, fiscal uh, legs right out from under uh, Russia because uh, that's, that's as, uh, as uh, was Henry Kissinger said, that uh, they're, 
they're a third world uh, country with a bankrupt uh, gas station. Uh, that that is basically their their principal source of income is the sale of their energy uh, pro products, and and right now we are being con completely compromised on two on two fronts. One is that we're paying them the same, uh, just about the same amount of money every uh, day that it's uh, required that the uh, that uh, Putin requires to maintain this uh, army and and this invasion force that he has that he has fielded, and if we cut that out from under him, and then particularly if we also uh, had the surplus to uh, take to uh, give to uh, uh, to uh, Europe and uh, knock him out, knock that market out from under him, he really has no place else to go. And this has obviously been a very, very uh, difficult decision for the Biden administration because they're responsible for the fact that, that we are still dependent. We're paying Russia, who is now pretty well uh, declared our enemy, uh, we're paying them every day for the uh, energy it requires us to keep on to keep our culture going. And the second problem is we have to de we have to determine whether we think that uh, uh, Mr. Biden, uh, Putin is uh, is capable and and is really being prepared to uh, turn to chemical or nuclear warhead. Uh, and rather than admit defeat, um, or is he just blustering? And the question is, do we call his bluff or not? So it seems to me those are the two major issues that that, that we face. And uh, uh, so, uh, David, what do you think about? Yeah, I, I think I think those are good points. Let me just be clear: I am not one of the hawks. I mean, I worry about this fervor, even after Zelensky gave a great, a brilliant, and inspiring speech. But there you have the members of Congress all clapping and saying, we got to do something, we got to save children, we got to do something. But they're not going if we would go. They're going to send everybody else. I'm not for sending anybody. There must be other avenues we can take to help them to send weapons to all the neighboring countries. I mean, Putin knows that there are U.S. weapons, but we have U.S. weapons all over the world that we're selling to countries right and left. So that doesn't seem to be a big problem. But I just it confounds me to think that, again, respectfully, I'm just frustrated by our president by the State Department. I don't need to have Tony Blinken give me another speech about how difficult things they are. Just like, what are you doing about it? You know, Americans act. We don't have to, like, just keep talking about things. And it seems part of the culture in D.C. is if I just give an impassioned speech and tell people this is what we need to do, it'll solve the problem. Well, it doesn't in the world of hard reality. I mean, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but I heard estimates of Russian casualties are already above the Russian casualties they had during their involvement in Afghanistan, yeah. just against yeah. Ukraine, which yeah, means sure. the Ukrainian people are doing a great job at stopping yeah. or slowing the aggression. But they, they they're, I mean, in, you know, this is a testament, I think, to how great America is. I mean, I'm a big believer in America, but 
you guys may know that there is a company up in Wisconsin that produces ammunition, and somehow one of their board members called and said, we should give them a million rounds of ammunition. So like in five days, they produced and shipped a million rounds of ammunition. And no one said, who's paying us, how much we're making. They're like, these people are fighting for their freedom against an aggressor. We're going to help them. And that's happening. I mean, in my own neighborhood, mothers are doing bake-a-thons. Kids are doing things all to try to raise money to help with humanitarian aid for the Ukrainians, which is a great, says a great thing about America. But the strategy needs to be, you know, in the no-fly zone issue, I understand why he would want to have a no-fly zone. That's tantamount to beginning a world war because you know what's going to happen. We're going to shoot at some Russian jet or some Russian jet is going to shoot and kill an American pilot. And then everyone's the gloves are going to be off and everyone's going to start backing up and saying, OK, we need to put more in. We need to put more in. And suddenly everybody's in. Yeah, but they're not talking about American pilots. They're talking about Ukrainian pilots. No, no, I know that, Larry. No, but no, no. Not the no-fly zone is not. They're talking American pilots. Right. They really that. would want American pilots because we have well, the best yeah, equipment. That, yeah, but the yeah. Polish the Polish uh, initiative was was basically U- U- Ukrainian pilots with uh, yeah. Polish planes. Right. Uh, yeah, but that, yeah. We have yeah, to, mixed, we have to that's take a, a break yeah. here. We have to take a quick yeah. break here, and you're listening to the uh, Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We have Bachelor. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. And you can listen to this show every day on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Bachelornews.airtime.pro, 1 p.m., 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also we got other great programming on the Bachelor News Radio Network. So you've got a lot of choices. And don't forget, my latest book, America at the Abyss, is available on Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, and LibertyHillPublishingPress.com. And now back to the resistance hour. Well, my my uh, my other concern is the fact that, in spite of whatever we might else we might think, um, the Biden administration right now has a negotiation going on with uh, Iran, and guess who is uh, who is the primary uh, advocate for our side? It's Russia. So we're, we're depending on Russia to get us more uh, uh, energy from Iran, so that and 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 if you can believe this, I mean this 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 is this is insane. Awesome. They, they won't yeah. even, and Saudi Arabia won't even take our calls, our president's right. call. Yeah. So I mean this is this is very uh, strange. Yeah, as well as they're talking to some other uh, 
nations in the world that don't have yeah, America's interests in mind. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we go talk to Houston and Dallas rather than going to these countries that are hostile to our interests? I don't understand that. I think, unfortunately, President Biden is so either thinks he is or is so emboldened to the more progressive environmental movement that wants to get rid of fossil fuels that he doesn't think he could produce more in America, which is precisely the solution we need to undertake. I mean, I learned the other night when I was reading about this that we're one of the leading countries in the world in reducing carbon dioxide emissions. We're getting more technology to make our dirty coal or our dirty oil cleaner. None of the other countries are, wor- are worried about doing that. We don't have high enough fences just to keep American air pure and having the air of India, China, whatever, be not clean. So I don't know what this movement is about while they're all flying their own private jets around the world because they have important business to take. Yeah. Okay, Ella, you got a qu- Oh, hold on a second. Uh, you got a question. Yeah, I just had a question for all of you politically. And, again, it's really about, you know, lives being saved. Um, but I, I had a question to start with you, Dr. Larry, then you, Tom, and your guest. What does this mean politically in terms of uh, not just the response, but we've seen because of this, you know, gas prices going up. And at, at the end of the day, you three gentlemen know somebody's going to pay for that. You know, it, we're spending a ton of money uh, at the gas pipe. And and so I, I wonder if how much uh, negative this will be, just not just for this administration, Dr. Larry and Tom, um, but also in terms of the, the midterms. Uh, you're, uh, the, you're the economist, uh, Dr. Rarer. Why don't you... Well, Larry, let me go. Let me while I'm thinking. Why don't you and Tom go first and kind of offer well, your let viewpoint? Let me put this from you know, if you're going from a political point of view, uh, I don't think in the long run it helps the Democrats at all because it's not just the inflation because it's the general wide inflation that's going on, and this was going on before, let's say the war. So I would probably say this is a negative aspect that comes into play as you know down the road. If that's the, that's the political point, at least based on the surveys and polling data that I've been seeing, and that I've been, and I had a chance to talk to a pollster today, you know what he's seeing in the field. If that's well, the, all, uh, all the polls are saying are very negative to uh, Mr. Yeah. Biden and how he's handling yeah. the economy and and the whole yeah. uh, inflation seems to be the biggest problem uh, yeah. in the. Public uh, conscience, uh, public attention, and his his uh, discussions of that that issue are rather uh, rather yeah. basic. <laughs> there, it's like like he didn't take uh, economics 101. We're not we're not going to solve inflation by getting more government spending. We got the only way we can we can survive on this is, is to cut cut things back and try to avoid getting into a major recession. So, Mr. Economist, what do you say? So I think that's a good question, L.A. First off, historically, presidents generally, generally their party loses 
between four and 30 seats in midterm elections. As we all know, the House is now controlled by the Democrats by four or five seats. So it's almost regular knowledge in D.C. that the Republicans are going to take control back of the House. What about the Senate? If Biden's personal approval ratings remain where they are, I think the Republicans probably eke out enough seats to win back control of the Senate, maybe 51, 52 to 49, 48. So it becomes like a uh, two-party government again. I think people like two-party government. They don't really trust one party either way. And I don't think, unfortunately, the Democrats, particularly with the president, have given people a reason to be enthusiastic and to go, oh, yeah, I want to elect more Democrats to the House and Senate since Biden is not on the ticket. Secondly, now that's providing the Republicans are smart and don't cause problems for themselves because sometimes they shoot themselves in the foot historically as well. Secondly, I think the gas prices are only going to be worse we now see major media outlets talking about how they've gone down a little bit. They're no longer $5 a gallon they're, or four forty a gallon. They're at four ten a gallon to kind of give us the ease that things are getting better. But they're not going to get better because we've choked off production in the United States. We're going to end, whether the president wants it or not, all reliance on Russia, which is going to increase, keep demand stable and reduce supply as an economist that drives up price further. Three, um, I'm not sure in the midterm elections what the Democrats unfortunately run on. You should reelect me or you should elect me because, well, they did help with COVID. I give them that. But then we've got our own border we, need, we have some problems with, with illegal immigration being at an all-time high. We have inflation, which you guys have already talked about. We're probably going to have a recession because the Federal Reserve can't continue just to print money and put it in, into the economy because that will only make inflation worse for more years to come. And I think the Ukraine short-term helps Biden because he's seen as a leader and he's actually doing something. But I think long-term, not that American are, Americans are isolationists, but as you said at the beginning of the show, we're tired of war. We don't want to have war. You know, people are just tired in general of, of military issues, and I think that will probably turn against him at some point. People will say, okay, he tried. He's not getting any, any better. People are still dying over there. So let's try a party of faces of people who are new. Yeah, and I think too. Uh, number one, uh, I'm in North Carolina. The the gas prices are four twenty, four twenty five, four thirty, and having been from and visit recently Connecticut, it's up towards five dollars or more. Thank God they don't live in California, which is even higher. But the, yeah. but I, I guess it's 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 it, it, I I know historically how presidents lose the House and Senate or lose seats. I'm wondering how how much of a landslide it will be. Number one, and then number two, uh, to your your point, sir, uh, when you you look at um, the the messaging, there is no messaging for for Democrats. Uh, you know, those who follow it uh, say that you know Democrats play checkers and Republicans play chess, and it's and it's, and it just seems as though. 
Uh, there's no messaging. There's no messages in D.C., period. I don't really care right. for I agree most you. of yeah. them, any, any, yeah. any of them. But, but in terms of what, what Democrats are saying, they're not saying anything. And I think, and Tom, you're a pollster, and I yeah. know Dr. Larry, and you got both of you guys, uh, doctors, followed it, is that um, it, it can be really ugly um, for Democrats because at the end of the day, we don't, that the, it's people in general don't want war. They want their kids, their, their babies to come home safe. They don't want to be in this. Everybody's exasperated. Everybody's trying to get a job and, and, and Dr. Larry talks about conscious capitals and making some money, feed their families. Nobody wants to be involved in any war, any war. And yeah. so that, that's a message, I think, that is coming out that, you know, this administration and this, this body, the Congress and, and the Senate, as you mentioned, is controlled barely by the Democrats, that that's going to come out. If you don't have a message... Uh, and gas prices continue to go up, and Ukraine is a, is a total train wreck. Um, this could be an epic, you know, disaster of proportion for 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 some time, guys, uh, for them. Yeah. I think I, – so I, I talked to one pollster recently that said that Republicans – we're always are always looking for opportunity seats, and they used to say we'll go and compete in seats that are plus five percent for Democrats. They've, which means the Democratic base is five percent bigger than the Republican base. Now they're saying we're willing to go to seats that are plus twelve for Democrats, which is a huge jump, puts a lot of yeah. seats in play. And I don't know if sometimes he's overly enthusiastic, but the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, I heard him say. We're looking at more than 100 seats, winning 100 well, seats, which would well, be I, epic, a, as yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. If I could just throw one quick point here on that score is, and again, I don't know how this is an outlier poll, but, you know, Lee Zeldin, who's running for the governor's race in New York, is actually one point ahead in this. You know, I think it was a, you know, Trovalgar poll. If that's indeed anywhere near accurate, that's a signal. I mean, when you're looking at blue states like that, that yeah. means, in effect, states like Nevada, uh, states like uh, Arizona, uh, North Carolina, where you got, or Wisconsin, where you got very close races one way or the other. Uh, they can, you know, they, they may just go in one direction. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, that goes from there. But I have a question for you, uh, Dave, because this news thing story came, and it's it's related. But not directly, but related, where Saudis basically are telling the Chinese, we will take your currency for your for oil. That's, in a way, that's starting to, I would say, threaten the United States dollar as the world currency. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I heard that, too. Number one, I hope it's just people putting it in the media because the Saudis maybe want some advantage or want to be shown a little love. I hope it's not a, hey, we're already thinking about this seriously, because that would be a disaster economically for the United States. Because if they abandon the currency as the prime mover, all these other countries are going to say, why did it happen? Maybe it's more risky to be in U.S. dollars, and they might start abandoning it too. And if there's a run on U.S. dollars, we have so much debt being held by foreigners, and they get rid of it, 
it's a big, 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 big economic problem for us. Secondly, yeah, I think Dave, – Dave, the reason that they're, so, they're doing that is because uh, we're trying to make a deal with their primary uh, adver- ad- adversaries, which is Iran. That, that's yeah. That's yeah. That's if we don't yeah. back if we don't back out of that, then they're going to go ahead. What do they yeah. have to lose? Right. Right. I mean, I don't. Maybe you guys know the answer. To this. This is not my field of expertise, but I have no idea why we're sitting with down with Iran, talking about that nuclear deal. The first one wasn't great. It never was approved by the Senate. You know, they found a way to move beyond constitutional rules, basically. I think it was Bob Coker from Tennessee said, well, we don't really need to have two-thirds vote anymore, which I thought was a strategic mistake because they wouldn't have gotten two-thirds of the Senate to support it. They passed it anyway. You know, Our former president said we're not going to live by it anymore. We've given Tehran all this money. They want to lift the, all the uh, limitations on the country. We're just emboldening an enemy of the United States who particularly wants to destroy Israel. So I don't see the logic behind all this. You know, when we had the first negotiations, which we Larry mentioned, Russia is now, quote, helping us with, who is destroying a country, aggressively destroying a country and killing thousands of people. Um, I don't see, you know, we used to have to sit in another room even when they were talking because they didn't recognize us as true participants. Well, if you put me in the closet and you say you can't be involved, guess what? I'm man enough to go. I'm not sitting in the closet. I'm leaving. We got to take a take a uh, break here. Uh, we're listening to the doc to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to this show every day on the bastionnews.airtime.pro at 1 p.m., 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget I do have my newest book, America at the Abyss, Will America Survive, available right now at Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, and your local bookstore. So now back to the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry. Well, it seems to me that there's one other issue that we need to uh, address, uh, and that is the perception that is uh, that uh, that we have a weak president, and that is that is a perception that is uh, apparently held by our adversaries, and uh, increasingly the uh, polls that that uh, have been taken, including. <coughs> Some of the more liberal um, pollsters, um, and that is that uh, that uh, everybody thinks that uh, he's not handling these particular problems that come up uh, very uh, adeptly, and and that he seems weak. And uh, uh, 
Tom, you're you're kind of the pollster in the crowd. What what do you uh, what what's your comment on that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think the real issue with you know, with uh, with Joe Biden is I think there is a perception, not just a weakness, whether or not he's up to the job. Uh, I think in the back that. of a lot of yeah, it's, it, and I, I think there's that element that's there where. You know, people truly wonder, is he truly up to the job? I mean, yesterday, what was it, a day ago yesterday, you know, he was making a comment about uh, Vice President Harris's husband and basically mangled that to death and, you know, know, basically confused the fact that he, you know, know, he was trying to make the point that, you know, know, her husband, you know, Harris's husband had COVID and somehow or another it came out he had COVID. I mean, those are the little things that I think a lot of people get nervous about. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And I mean, again, I hate because I don't like to play psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to play I, psychologist. I don't either. Uh, because again, I have no. You know, I'm not going to play psychologist, but I am going to say, I think you know, I've seen enough people say, or enough polls that that's in the in the works. And I think Ella, you got. A, you, I know you want to comment on that. Well, Ella. Yeah, I was. Uh, the, I mean, you guys can uh, go before me. I was just, uh, um, you know, I think your guest has a probably a better perception of mine. I, I could speak after that. If that's okay. We'll say that that is no comment. <laughs> no, I mean I, I have a comment, no, you, but you I, I didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to step in. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think it, at least my experiences in Washington generally, people take a picture of you. They're they're so busy in their lives. There's a moment, or there's a, you know, like with former President Ronald Reagan, everybody remembers him when he said at the Berlin Wall, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall." A hundred years from now, when someone says the Berlin Wall, someone will turn next to him and say, Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It was a defining moment. And I think, unfortunately for President Biden, once people question your leadership ability or whether you have your hands on the wheel, so to speak, and you're driving the car in the right lane and you're going the correct speed, and they they don't feel like you are, it's really hard to get that back. I mean, even if tomorrow well, he woke up and said, I'm going to be a leader, and he was a leader, and he was decisive, and he made moves that America really liked and wanted, uh, I think it still would be hard because people, I believe, are just turning him off, unfortunately. Well, I, I, I'm not so sure. I, I think, first of all, the reason for that started most mostly, most uh, – uh, in popular mind, uh, with the Afghanistan fiasco, but but I also think that he has a chance to recover here uh, because there's getting more and more talk about uh, uh, Putin being the the contemporary Hitler and taking over all of Europe and and frankly I think there's something to that, but. Uh, if he gets through this whole thing and and there is no war and and uh, I think people could possibly say uh, his uh, so-called timidity was actually a, a good thing because 
he did avoid the war, and, and maybe his kind of uh, uh, casual uh, diplomacy uh, might actually appear to be a virtue. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of time between now and next November. Right. And right. You could be right. Larry. You could be right. Yeah. You know that that good, Doc. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And finish your Go talk ahead. I, 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 it's your turn. No, I was going to say that you're spot on in terms of how Ukraine could shape it. That's why I asked the three of you in terms of how the gas prices. People, you hit people in the pocket, whether they a billionaire or they working for Walmart. They, you hit them in the pocket. They're they're going to. Uh, look at you a different way. Um, so if if it turns out that it works out for him, he puts this and COVID, if you will, on his checklist um, going into the uh, his presidency. But even more with with, with the midterms, I, I think that at the end of the day, um, when you look at uh, this. His presidency and and you look at what's going on in terms of the, the climate. Um, you know he has an opportunity. The key is uh, what the messaging is. And Tom knows um, the messaging is um, for the Democratic Party. And it's also about uh, the understanding of where the black vote or the minority vote is. I mean, you, you know, uh, I, listen, I talk to a lot of people who look like me that are very conservative and very upset and don't want any part of war and a lot of different things that come and play into uh, these elections that will uh, come up. Uh, and, and, you know, Vladimir Putin has done some things that have been uh, detrimental to Europe. I think the conversation about um, the or the correlations, and uh, as you look at Hitler, and okay, we'll give we'll give you Denmark, we'll give you France, we'll give you this, and we'll stay out of it until it gets to a certain point. That's a serious conversation. I don't think people right. really take it. I don't think people really believe how serious it can be if you allow him to continue to move forward, even if they they get hit. And I think someone said that. Uh, I think Thomas said that they're you know they're just getting depleted in some of the resources because they are a third world country without um, the the oil that they have. But but we have to be very mindful that this looks eerily. I think Dr. Larry talked about. They're very eerily to Hitler, we gave, countries gave Hitler all this power to allow him to move forward in these countries and did nothing until it, it, it took, you know, superpowers to really get involved. Now we have NATO and everything else. So I think that that's a part of it. Long term, so you have the macro, as Dr. Larry talks about, and the micro. And the macro, you got to look at that because if you allow him to continue to do what he's doing, you don't have the right administration involved, would be Biden, who was not my pick, by the way. Um, it, it, you know, it, it could be epic disaster, it's epic disaster of proportion that 
uh, if, if this continues. Yeah, it, it could be that 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 does lead to uh, to a nuclear war. Right. You know, it may be the point, the only way to stop it. In fact, there's even a question if if it really came down to it, whether we have the uh, the, the firepower anymore to uh, to uh, win in a, in a war like that. Yeah. And, yeah could I? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a consideration that uh, somewhat checkmates your uh, your idea, David, of you know that we don't want to do anything to uh, to uh, tickle the beast. And um, yeah, can I be? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to make a comment on that because I disagree somewhat with that. Uh, with uh, first of all, what we've seen with the Ukraine, and this again is what I've been fascinated with, is how bad the Russian military has actually been. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you look point. at the, yeah. yeah. I mean the logistics. I mean you're talking about you're next to the Ukraine. You would figure you would have the logistics to get, you know, supplies and everything in. I mean he was counting on a quick war, jump in, yeah, we'll we'll have this thing done in a week. We'll have a you know puppet government and we'll be and we'll get what we want. And it is not it has not happened. But you know, if I'm sitting, you but know, Tom, China, quick... China's on China's on Russia's yeah. side. You got to remember that yeah, too. Now, well, I know that's another question that comes into play because I mean, here's the thing. Here's why I look at Putin. I look at Putin as the Mussolini to the China Hitler. Yeah, that's wow. good. That's wow, good. that is good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, look, I mean, this, I mean, here's the thing. You know, you know, Putin. I mean, here, you know, you know, Putin's problem is very simple. Once he gets in the hands of the Chinese or Russia gets in the hands of the Chinese, they become a puppet of China. They become second partner. They'll be giving China all the resources China needs. They will have a control over the Eurasian continent. But they are not going to be the senior partner. They're going to be the Mussolini to Adolf, you know, to the Chinese Adolf Hitler. That's and, a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I mean, to me, what scares me about – this is the thing that always scared me about Putin. I always thought Putin was a smart guy, right. a geopolitical thinker, and I find him to be incompetent. I find him not to be as bright as I thought he was. And by my first – I mean, I was thinking, you know, when he took those two you – know, basically annexed those two provinces and made them formerly Russia, my first thought would be, okay, if he was smart, he's going to make a deal, you know, just say, hey, look – you guys promised Ukraine don't become part of NATO. You know, uh, we'll leave it at that. And then basically suck the Germans even further into dependence on his gas and oil. And then deal with the issue down the road when, he, when NATO is even more compromised than that, when Europe is more compromised with that. He didn't do that. He did the complete opposite. He went in and he demonstrated that he wasn't that Russia's military, short of nuclear weapons, has got some serious issues. Yeah. And if I'm NATO... I'm not sitting there worried about Russia coming across the border immediately. I'm more worried about, but I am worried about, you know, the long-term implication of the alliance right. with China and the control of the Eurasian continent. Well, the other factor, the other yeah. factor is the uh, Russian population feels pretty much like we do. You know, they don't yeah. want war either, and they're actually de- demonstrating, which for them, I mean, yeah. that's that's a life or death. Yeah. Kind of a well, decision yeah. to go out there and the you know uh, pavement. Yeah. You know what I thought was yeah, what I thought was genius on the part of the Ukrainians. 
Yeah, when they would have Russian prisoners, they would sit there. Here, here's a here's a uh, cell phone. Go call your mother and tell her you're okay. <laughs> but I, I, I wonder though, Tom, you Tom, and, Tom, you mentioned yeah. you, you, you could you made an example of Mussolini, who wasn't the, the greatest strategic person uh, war wise, yeah. and and on the planet, you can, I don't know if the kind of pushback you you comparing him to Vladimir. I don't know. Uh, I mean, especially since Mussolini in Italy was an ally, not at the forefront, and a, a smaller country in China who can just say, hey, you know, we're down with Russia, whatever they want to do, and they push, you know, strategically and in terms of uh, uh, intelligence and the su- supply and demand more, we're already fighting China to be the innovative yeah. You know, country of the world. I, I yeah. don't know if I compare. I feel Mussolini and Italy in I, that. I would. Yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. You know, hit, I mean, Putin is the junior partner. His economy's a mess. China's economy is on the rise. And and the way I would put it to you is this way. And this is what scares me in all of this is that, you know, if China gets all of the hands on these resources, gets the ability to give Russia natural gas, Russia coal. Uh, you know, Russia oil. Guess right, what? all the minerals in Russia. Yeah. On the minerals, they're they're virtually. We could never sanction China in the way we do Russia. We could do it now, but even then, they could basically say, "Here's the middle finger. We don't need you. You need us. You need our market. We don't need you." Yeah. And that's and especially. But that when goes. With that just goes. Real quick, Jeff, this yeah. goes back to Dr. Let, uh, Fiedewood that says, you know what, we should have been energy efficient a long time ago. We, if we energy efficient a long time ago, we'll have to deal with that. I mean, the, the little uh, gadgets and things that people create in countries, it, it everybody does. But, I mean, being innovative and energy efficient, we should have been doing that decades ago. And we don't have to deal with China or Russia. Well, the other factor is that we were talking uh, briefly about the uh, reserve currency. Uh, You know that that is something that that uh, the yuan could could can and probably will uh, take an equal position as a reserve currency in this contest, and that's absolutely impossible for. For uh, Russia, because Russia just does not have that. It's it's really a very. Uh, it's what like one seventh of the uh, GDP that we have. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Look. Yeah. So we got, the we're, we're actually now, we're coming the, to the end yeah. of the program here, and yeah, uh, okay. we ought to uh, give uh, uh, Doctor uh, Roar is your. Uh, I'm sure you have some some project that you're promoting and uh, this is a good chance (laughs) well you guys know that I'm very involved in using software automation to help make government more efficient and more effective that is to say people currently working in government are doing low-value items copying numbers putting in Excel spreadsheets where we could use basically automation software computers to do all that thereby freeing them up to do higher value jobs and I've been preaching this now for about a year and a half it's taking off we're uh, at George Mason are working now with the Department of Defense a place called the uh, 
uh, Jack, which is an uh, intelligence operation inside DOD to use automation software to provide more resources and more personnel for their war fighting machine um, and of some other communities as well just to improve the quality of government. And it's going pretty well, and it's it's really exciting me. They just released a report on the use of automation technology across the federal government, and they they said that they now have approximately has saved like 2 million labor hours of time so people are no longer doing mundane, tedious chores at their jobs and are now involved in more valued jobs like making sure the programs are actually touching people or working or looking for efficiencies in these programs or relocating to pe- relocating people to other programs to help them be more successful. And I think personally that's been very gratifying and very good for the country. How about sending me a yeah. copy of that? I will. I will. Yeah, and we have good. a website at it's uh, the Center for Business Civic Engagement at George Mason, cbce.gmu.edu. You go to the RPA tab, and it describes everything we're doing. And it's we have webinars on there for people to watch. It's pretty amazing stuff, and it's going very well. Well, with that, I want to thank everybody for uh, participating tonight, <clears throat> and uh, we will end with our usual prayer. And that is God bless America, because my Lord, we can stand. We we need it. Good night, everybody. Good night.